With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Now we head to the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline as we get to say hello to our good friend, Gerald Hodges, as his appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. If you have a question or comment about the rule book, 656-9900, star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers, the toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Gerald, how are you? Doing well, John. Jimmy, good to talk to you. Always fun. Hope things are good for you. They are. They are. Winding down the season here in less than a week for the regular season, so we made it through. <laughs> We're about there. Hey, Gerald, I want to ask you, there was a interesting play, and it was obvious some folks didn't know the rule. Uh, South Al- Tennessee's kicking off. South Alabama kick returner. Let's he signals fair catch, lets the ball bounce, and then he feels it on the one yard line. He thought the ball was coming out to the twenty five. That didn't happen. Talk about that rule. Okay. The uh they changed that rule a few years ago where if you make a valid fair catch inside the uh twenty yard line, it comes out to the twenty five. And the key to that is though you cannot make a fair catch after a ball has touched the ground. And uh, so wherever he called it, the signal itself makes the ball dead anywhere on the field. Another little wrinkle of that, if you have two two safeties back, you know, two returners back, one signals for a fair catch, and then the other one catches the ball, say, on the one. The ball goes on the one because the waving signal makes it dead as soon as it's caught, but it's not a fair catch. So it's the definition of a fair catch. Now, what if the returner signals fair catch, it bounces on the five, goes into the end zone, and then he feels it? Is that a touchback? If it hits in the end zone untouched, it is a touchback. The signal, as long as he doesn't touch it, but the signal doesn't kill the ball. But when it goes into the end zone untouched by the receivers, then it would come back out to the 25. The signal doesn't affect the, that, that particular instance. So uh, let me ask you this. So that's on a kickoff. What about on a punt? What if there are two returners that are deep and they punt it, one signals for the fair catch? That makes it dead as soon as it's returned by one of the returners, doesn't it? Yes, as soon as it's possessed, correct, at that spot. All right. That uh, it was kind of interesting because on the situation with South Alabama, the returner uh, thought the ball was coming back to the 25. He was surprised to learn otherwise. So <laughs> inter- in- right. interesting situation. Uh, I do want to ask you about this, and I-, I see this quite a bit, and maybe it's me being picky about it, but I know that when a, a quarterback is scrambling, he runs beyond the line of scrimmage, and then he decides to slide you're supposed to mark it where he slides. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but sometimes I've watched them mark it a yard or two behind where he started the slide. But what is the rule on that? Is it supposed to be marked where he starts the slide and, instead of where he ends up sliding? 
That's correct. And the way the rule reads in that, the minute, and it's kind of funny, the minute his butt starts down, it's got to be feet first for a slide. Mm-hmm. And the minute he starts down, this position of the ball, so the ball could be, you know, if the guy's tall, it could be almost six feet behind his feet when he starts to slide is actually where they'll mark the ball. Now, if a quarterback dives forward, it's where he lands, correct? That's correct. He gets just He's just another runner. If he doesn't slide, he's not giving himself up. So he gets what he, he gets the forward progress he makes. But, yes, that's correct. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Gerald, of course, when we start your string of appearances with us, there's always the uh, the points of emphasis and different things like that. Uh, now that we've got almost the complete regular season under our belt, how consistent do you think that uh, this year's the, the crews this year have been with what the NCAA deemed its points of emphasis in terms of just uh, making sure they were taking care of the things that they had set as goals at the start of the year? Well, they, they had some lofty goals, obviously, and uh, one of them was to cut down on the number of uh, basically fake injuries. Uh, that's not going too well, but uh, <laughs> the other – the other, uh, the uh, some of the other things, and of course, the targeting has always been, you know, it's still at the forefront, and it's going to be. But they, uh, they, Steve Shaw did come out with some interesting stats that targeting uh, overall nationwide. There's been .22 targeting enforced per game so far. That's that's less than one every four games. It's almost one every five games. So that part is working, like it or not. It's cut down on the targeting. And uh, on our end of it, the replay, uh, the replay times are down. They're averaging nationwide about one a minute and 29 seconds average. So the uh, total stops per game have gone down from two and a half to 2.1. So that's due to the fact that we've got more cameras again this year. So we're able to look at things a lot quicker without stopping. Now, of course, when the season starts, it's uh, it's very, very warm. And when the season ends, we're starting to see the winter-like temperatures. Is there one that was easier for you to deal with? Did you prefer, if you had to choose one, would you rather be working during a hot Saturday afternoon? Or was it easier to handle the cold, which now some crews are having to deal with, especially after the sun goes down? Yeah, I think actually, John, to me, the cooler weather, cold weather, and we had we had some dillies, and uh, but you can usually put on another layer. But when it's ninety eight degrees and the humidity is right there, about the same, it's kind of hard to get cool. Yeah, they won't let you work in shorts, will they? <laughs> no, they tried at high school, I think, a year or two, and then they didn't go over very well, and they tried the mesh, you know, official shirts, and uh, that's the bad thing on. Hot weather game. I mean, you know, half of the half of the surface area is black, and it really soaks up the heat. It, 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 any way you can look at it, uh, Gerald. I wanted to ask you. We've we've talked a lot about how the fake injuries have been impacted, and that was a uh, uh, an emphasis. And then they've they've talked about if you do fake an injury, and that's kind of proven, you have to sit 
or even if it's not proven, you've got to sit for three or four plays or whatever that number is. I do want to ask you about this because I hear this more often. Pass interference. Now, in college football, uh, it is a spot foul if it's 15 yards or less. If it's more than 15 yards, it's a 15-yard penalty. Has there been any discussion that college football adopt a similar pass interference rule to the NFL, which says if the pass interference occurs 50 yards downfield, then the ball will be spotted 50 yards downfield. Has that been a point of discussion with the rules committee? It has off and on, but it never has gotten a lot of support. They just feel like a 50-yard penalty, you know, for college kids is pretty severe. Uh, But, you know, of course, the flip side is, you know, if a guy's beat, uh, you know, he can always grab, and he knows the worst he's going to get is 15. So that's the other argument, too. So, uh, but I do think a 50-yard penalty is pretty tough on a kid. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. Let's say hello to Alan. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Alan. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Gerald, I've I seen a play this week. It was Iowa State-Oklahoma game. It was that jet sweep, and the quarterback caught the ball, settled it to the, the receiver, which went around the end of the line and threw the ball back to another receiver, which they called it a double forward pass, which I agree with. My question is, like, these quarterbacks get real cute with uh, the handoffs now. Instead of uh, catching the ball and handing it off, they let it hit their hands and just kind of pat it forward on that jet sweep. Now, what dictates, like, uh, the forward pass, like a shuttle pass, and what dictates a handoff? Oh, well, good question, Alan. To make a forward pass, you have to have control of the ball. So if they bat it forward, it's a bat, and, uh, you know, it, you can do that behind the line of scrimmage, but uh, the, uh, the the double forward pass, of course, like the, both passes, you know, the second pass, has to be forward and has to be forward. But the first pass has to be clearly backward, and obviously they can throw one. But I have seen that, and they've got – as long as the running back catches the ball, you don't have an issue. But if, if he were to muff the ball or something, then it'd be a live ball on the ground back there. It'd be anybody's ball. Alan, we sure yeah. do appreciate it. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. Hey, Gerald, just to be clear on that, if, if a quarterback's in the shotgun, catches it, and then he just kind of pops it up in the air for the guy running in front of him, that's an incomplete pass, right? That's correct, yeah. If he catches the ball, you'll see that some. He'll pitch it forward. Like I said, the back will go in front of him. And it is indeed an incomplete pass, and a lot of people don't understand that. You know, I guess because it's behind the line of scrimmage. But uh, if he pitches it forward to the back coming in front and they drop it, it's an incomplete pass. That's correct. But the quarterback has to gain control of it before it becomes a pass in that situation, right? That's correct. He, he, otherwise, it's just considered a muck. Yeah. Okay. Interesting uh, uh, situation on that. Um, also, um, and, and I hate to keep belaboring this point, but I was at the quarterback club. John Chavis was the speaker, and he brought up the situation about the fake injuries. Uh, 
How much will that be a point of emphasis, do you think, in the offseason when they discuss this with the rules committee? I think it's going to be a very, very big point of emphasis that they're going to have a lot. They just they discussed it heavily the last couple of rule cycles, and but it's you know it's it's, it's gained a lot of national attention now. And I, I feel like they're going to, they're going to have to address it. It's just it really has gotten out of hand. They they tried letting the coaches handle it in a couple of different ways. Uh, the national coordinator review it, you know, but there again. That's on Monday, and they've accomplished what they wanted by, you know, faking the injury. So they're going to have to do some, put some sort of teeth, teeth into the rules. So if you're a, a school A in the SEC and you think school B is faking a bunch of injuries, can school A send tape to the SEC office for review, or does that go to Steve Shaw on the national level? What's the chain of command it, there? Right. It, on that case, it, what the original tape would go to the national level. They'll look at it, make a decision, and then the process it'll come back through the conference office for uh, you know for how to handle you know if it's best to determine what's happened. Okay, so I think we would all agree there've been some fake injuries. Has there been any repercussion? Has any school been fined? Discipline. Has there been any player that's been told you have to sit out because you're faking injuries? Has there been anything that's come of that? Not to my knowledge. And I'm not sure that would be uh, publicized, you know, or not. But uh, I have not heard of it yet. And, of course, the other ones, you know, in the smaller conferences where they don't have replay at all, they have, you know, they can review certain certain things too, targeting for one if the player gets ejected. But, you know, there again, that doesn't happen until the next week, and he's already had to sit out whatever the game was. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the wheels turn slow in that regard. <laughs> Our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or comment about the rule book, 656 9900, 656 9900. Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. We're here at Twin Peaks on North Shore between Kingston Pike and Paper Mill. Our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. Let's get back to the phones and check in with Keith. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Keith. Hey, guys. How y'all doing tonight? Doing well. Hope you Good, are. Keith. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Gerald, I've often wondered uh, uh, whenever there's a play that is uh, that's that's called uh, unreviewable. Uh, and and you know, I mean, you know it's going to affect the outcome of the game. And the example that I'll use: whenever we played Kentucky, we had the face mask that did not get called, and it was clear. I mean, by the by the replay that they showed in the stadium, it was absolutely obvious uh, that we did commit a face mask on that. So. Why is that not reviewable whenever that could, in fact, affect the outcome of the game? Sure, Keith. That, that's a very good question. And then when replay first evolved, it took a lot of negotiating and discussions, and it certainly evolved over the 15 years that I've been doing it. Uh, they did not want to just disrupt the game to a point that it just you know, became a distraction so they had to come up with a set of 
reviewable plays and non-reviewable plays. And what they tried to do in replay, our goal and what we reviewable plays are something we can see on camera. Uh, a foot on the line, uh, an incomplete pass, ball touching the ground, uh, things like that. Uh, that we, and it has, of course, evolved also that we do call targeting from the replay booth if it's missed on the field. And that falls into the safety category. And the blindside blocks is another one for targeting on them. Uh, they, they wanted to stay away from pass interference, holding, obviously. Uh, and we'd be there, you know, the games, actually the games were down about three minutes this year over last so far. But uh, there, there's a window that, uh, in the, the NFL found this out, there's a window that people won't watch a ball game that lasts, you know, four hours. And uh, so they uh, they just had to come up with some some way. Uh, that's, and that's uh, the reason we don't call pass interference from the booth either. Uh, the, act, the worst place on the field to watch a game is on the field. We can see a lot more in replay. And like I said, plays like that do, you know, of course, there again, when all this came in, we didn't have 12 cameras on each game like we do now. And uh, you just, they were there and they got missed and you just didn't see them. But we see a lot more now and we've just got to, you know, they've just got to decide what they want us to stop it for and, and you know, whatnot. And that's one of the ones that does fall through the cracks. Keith, we appreciate it. Let's go next to Alan. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Alan. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Alan. <laughs> I can I, I, uh, two things. One, I was at Harvard, Yale this weekend. And I can report that not a single player fell down with a cramp. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking we need IV aid instead of Gatorade, maybe. Um, but, Gerald, I, I called a few weeks ago and talked about forward motion. And um, well, one of my questions was, if I hit Jimmy and knocked him backwards, but I didn't wrap him up, was that forward motion? And I think you said no. Um and since that time, I've seen two plays where uh, somebody got hit, knocked backwards, and they stepped out of bounds, and they gave him the ball where he was hit, not where he stepped out of bounds. Is, is that correct, or, or is that yeah. a special rule, or what, what do you think? Well, what they, well, there's two things, Alan. One is if they knock him back out of bounds, then he gets his forward progress. If they knock him back and he has a chance to gain that yardage back, then he's he's not down. It's different than being down and then having forward progress. So, ah, um, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that 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 makes that makes uh, makes sense. And I, I think I, I, I just got on the radio just to confirm the the fair catch on the kickoff. If you don't catch the ball in the air. And it hits the ground, and then you catch it in the field of play. It, it like what happened with South Alabama. It goes where you catch the, where the the ball is touched after it hit the ground. Is that correct? Right. It's where it's possessed. Once you get the signal, uh, the ball's going to be dead whether you catch it on on the fly or you know wherever it goes. And then when you down it, and then in that case, you know it's not a fair catch if you don't catch it in the air. Or if you get a signal. Right, thanks. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate you. Alan, right. 
Thank you. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. It's Charles who's up next. Hello, Charles. Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. Now, I'm calling. Uh, I realize this is an NFL question, but it's sort of a takeoff on an answer from two questions previously. In the Cowboy game yesterday, the four Cowboys, uh, there was a kick and there was a obvious face mask tackle, and then a little bit later on, one of the players had an unnecessary roughness or something. I can't remember what it was. But bottom line was they didn't call the face mask. And about trying to get everything situated about uh, 15 seconds later, they looked up at the big screen, saw the face mask, and called the face mask penalty. And I didn't think, I know it's NFL, but I didn't think that referees could use the big screen to make a decision on a penalty well they're not supposed to but sometimes they peek up there uh, best way to put but typically uh in the, in the college now again the nfl may have a different set of rules but uh if we if, if we're in a review and if we see a reviewable foul you know like targeting uh, something that we can call that, but in other words, if we we're looking at something, say we stop the game for targeting, and we look and there's no targeting, but we do see there there was passing interference, but we're not we're not allowed to call that from the booth. So we have a different set of fouls that we call from the booth. We have eight of them exactly, and that we can put on from the booth. Twelve men on the field on either team, you know, some things like that. But uh, holding or pass interference or face mask, something like that, is not you know, something we can we can put on from the field from the booth. Yeah, this was done just. There was no uh, stop and play. They just actually passed up there. Uh oh, he missed it. <laughs> well, thanks for your yeah. answer, Gerald. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Charles, we sure do appreciate it. Again, if you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. It's Justin who joins us next. Hello, Justin. Hello. How are we doing today? Fine. How are you? Oh, doing well, doing well. Hey, uh, my question is, I've, I've actually got two of them. Uh, the first one is, uh, I notice a lot of times, you, at least it shows like it is on TV, like when the defensive line lines up, you'll have – one, maybe two guys that seem like they're a whole lot closer to the ball on the line of scrimmage than the rest of them. Uh, how, how does the rule go about that of them not being offside? Is it the ones that's closest to the ball is claiming the line of scrimmage for the defense or what? Well, those yeah, your down linemen are going to be closer to the ball. Uh, basically, Justin, the line of scrimmage is 11 and a quarter inches wide. In other words, just the width of the football. And... Uh, you're not supposed to be in that 11 and a quarter inch space from sideline to sideline. Uh, they will warn them if they're getting up there close. Uh, of course, sometimes they'll line up. They'll, they'll be just you know all the way across that 11 inch thing. So they, they're going to get them for lining up off sides. But they try to warn them, and you know it's uh, but they do, especially goal line plays or short yardage plays. They crowd the line of scrimmage as much as they can. Um, you know, both sides, of course, obviously, offense is going to be right up there if they're running for short yardage. But uh, and then just trying to, you know, move the other line. But yeah, both the down line will be a lot closer. I mean, 
you know, typically, you know, you'll see some of the ends will actually just stand up. They won't get the four-point stance. Okay. And the second question is, is me and some of my fellow co-workers have had the discussion, and everybody seems to have a different opinion on it. What is the true definition of a red-shirted player? And uh, also, uh, we've heard them say, you know, that they burned someone's red shirt. What What is the definition of that? I'm going to let Jimmy go into that or John because they're up more up on that than I am. John, you want it? Yeah, it used to be much different. Uh, if a player played a game that would burn his red shirt, uh, for the most part, there were other situations where somebody, if they got injured and uh, and were not were not able to play a certain percentage of games, then they were eligible for a medical red shirt. But it used to be that if you put a player on the field, and Jimmy, we used to see it, it could be as as interesting as somebody playing in a bowl game, and that would have burned their fresh their their first year red shirt or whatever yeah. year they were just by playing in that last game. I remember when uh, Tennessee played LSU in the SEC championship game in 01, LSU played a defensive back for the first time all year, and it burned his red shirt. So then he ended up playing in the bowl, so he played two games. If you played in the first – it used to be if you played in the first six games of a season, uh, 20% of the game of the games, if you got hurt, then you could redshirt. But if you played any snap after game six, you couldn't redshirt. Now the rule is – you can play four games in a season and still redshirt. So when you hear somebody say they burned his redshirt, now that means he's played in more than four games. So it would be a fifth game now, and uh, and it's, so it's it's not quite as hard cut uh, cut dried as it used to be. And for example, and I believe this to be true, I hadn't confirmed it. So Tennessee has a defensive lineman named Latrell Bumpus. He's played in four games this year. He got hurt. Well, Tennessee, I don't think, is going to play him again because I think they want to redshirt him and let him return next season because they, they're losing a lot of defensive linemen. Uh, LSU recently had a quarterback named Nussmeyer. He played the majority of the game last week. That was his fourth game. He didn't play at all this past Saturday because they're going to try to redshirt him. So I don't think he's going to play the rest of the year. So, again, it's four games, and you can redshirt. You burn the redshirt if you play somebody more than four games. But, Justin, we sure do appreciate the call. John Wilkerson with Jimmy Hyams, our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. Before we get another caller for Gerald, Jimmy, some quick news for Tennessee football. Yeah, Tennessee gets a commit. It's their 15th commitment. They get a four-star or three-star, depending on what service. Joshua Joseph, defensive end out of Kennesaw, Georgia, uh, he narrowed it down to Tennessee and Kentucky, picked the Vols. So Joshua Joseph, defensive end, Kennesaw, Georgia, committing to the Vols. Let's talk to Johnny, who joins us now. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Johnny. Hello. How you fellas doing this evening? Doing well, thank you. What's your question for Gerald? Oh. Yes, uh, I'll just ask uh, one question, and then uh, I'll hang up and, and listen to his comments. But I was curious about the, um, the past interference uh, on defensive backs when they don't look back and, and try to spot the ball? Okay. Well, that's kind of a uh, – it's not quite an accurate description that a lot of the people picked up. Uh, they, will, they will say, oh, well, he didn't get his head turned around, so they're going to call pass interference. That in itself won't 
buy you out of a pass interference. Uh, it helps what they're really talking about. If you're turning around looking, you are deemed to be playing at the playing the ball. But if you just run right over a guy, you know, that's in front of you, uh, just the fact you're looking back, uh, you're still going to get called for pass interference. So that won't buy you out of it uh, all the time. But it'll sometimes, if it's marginal, it might help you. So in other words, just by the fact that you turn around and look toward the ball, but if you run over the receiver, you're probably still going to get a flag for pass interference. Anything else, Johnny? We appreciate the call. Gerald, uh, we don't have much time left, but we had the guy call her about, oh, the official looked up at the Jumbotron, and then they made a call. In the NFL, there's a central office in New York. In the SEC, the central office is Birmingham. You're in the replay booth, but you also have suggestions or contributions made by the crew that's uh, in in Birmingham for collaborative replay, don't you? We do. We we uh, well only on stops, I guess you could say. But yeah, we do. We'll we'll all look at it, and uh, it just gives us another set by uh, when we do have a stop. So, uh, but 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 go ahead. It, but even if you see face masks, that's not reviewable, so you can't stop it and say, hey, you missed the face mask, correct? That's correct, right. Yeah, yeah. that's one of the things you cannot do, yes. All right. Hey, Gerald, we always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything this week, and we certainly hope that you and yours have a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next Monday. All right, same to the both of you guys. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. All right. You too, Gerald. Thank you. Sure to appreciate that. That's Gerald Hodges. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennick. So Obliterated's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I had the best time. And it was great. challenging, but it was like the show. It doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're this not. This was a it's dream. It's no fun. Genuinely. That's and if it beautiful. wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like, yeah, it like, was, hey, it was fine. Because yes. I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.